Hi, and welcome to Follow Baptist Church's weekly message podcast. My name's Luke Williams, and I'm the lead pastor, and we're thrilled to have you joining us. We hope the message today inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for His glory. Here's the message. Our reading today is from Jeremiah 29, verses 1 to 7. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans, had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Eliash, son of Shepan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Well, last week we commenced Vision Month here at Follow, and if you missed it, our theme for 2020 is on the screen. It is to bloom where you're planted. And to summarise, we see 2020 as a year of equipping us to help us more effectively live for Jesus wherever God has planted us in our lives. And so week one, I felt it was really important to focus in on relationship with God because fruitfulness in our lives actually flows from intimacy with God as we go deeper with Him. So if you missed the message last week, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it online at follow.church. And so for some of us, at the start of a new year, God is calling us to come back to our first love for Him at the start of 2020. But for others, he may be calling us back to our first love of place. There's something profound about God planting us in a place. And today, that's what we're going to talk about. It's no accident that we are here in Officer. God has called us to this place. He's planted us in this community to be a blessing as we represent Jesus. And I honestly believe that Officer and the whole southeast of Melbourne should be a better place to live because Follow Baptist Church exists. Does anyone else believe that? Good. Four or five of us believe that. That's awesome. Hopefully by the end of the sermon, you'll all believe that to be true. Because when we first follow, uh, planted follow, one of the things I was so thankful was, for was that God brought together a group of different people from different places with different backgrounds who had a united passion to live on mission for Jesus. That's where things like the food van and the breakfast club and community events and connections with residents and council were all birthed from that passion to be people who live on mission and to see Jesus' name lifted high over our region. And so there was a real expectation from us as a community that God was going to move in us and he was going to move through us, that people would be saved, that others would grow in their faith, and that Jesus' name would be lifted high. And so there was vision, 
And there was tangible passion for that to happen in our midst. In fact, I believe it was one of the things that attracted people to be a part of Follow. In the early days, people used to say, I really love that there's a sense of mission, that you want to go out and care for the lost and the hurting and the broken, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I heard that all the time when we first planted Follow. And it's wonderful that people sense that about our church. But in another way, it's really sad that that's what set us apart as a church. Because it's what every church, and for that matter, every Christian, should be doing with their lives. Now, I think the passion and enthusiasm to represent Jesus has led to some great fruit in the first four years. But as time goes on, and as a church grows, vision leaks, and we can suffer from what some people call missional drift, where the passion we once had for our neighbourhood starts to fade as the things of everyday life consume us and we get so busy with work and family and hobbies that we get exhausted and we forget that our whole life is mission. And sometimes we get so tired, the hustle and hurry of life, that the vision we once had for a community just simply becomes a group of people going through the motions of church. Now, I'm not saying that's what we've become, but I'm certainly saying that's the danger we face if we forget the why of what we do. And so while some of us need to come back to our love for God as our first port of call this year, there's others that actually need to come back to our first love of place, where we remember that it's God who's placed us here in this neighbourhood to represent him. Today's reading from Jeremiah 29 is one of the greatest missional passages in the Bible. And there's so much for us to learn from when it comes to modern mission in our world today. But to do that, we need to look at some of the background of this passage in Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah was a prophet. He was a man appointed by God to publicly declare God's word to his people. In Jeremiah's early life, the people of God were living in a place called Jerusalem. They settled in the land that God had promised them after he miraculously brought them out of slavery in Egypt and through the Exodus. And so they settled in this land, but it didn't take long for them to return to their old ways. Their passion for God kind of wore off and they forgot all that he had done and their obedience to him was replaced with disobedience. They mistreated one another, they grumbled about stuff and worst of all, they worshipped other gods. Now because God's a gracious God and because of his grace in their life, he chose to warn them that they were going down the wrong path. And he did it through prophets such as Ezekiel and Jeremiah and you can read about them in the Bible. And their warning, these prophets' warning to the people, was to return to God or face the consequences of your wrongdoing. In this particular particular context, the consequences were going to come in the form of an army from the north who were going to come down to Jerusalem and destroy them. That force was the Babylonians. The people heard God's warnings. But unfortunately, they chose to completely ignore them. And so the prophecy came true. In fact, Babylon attacked Jerusalem three times. In the year 605 BC, in 597 BC, and then finally in 586 BC, when they completely destroyed the city. In the middle attack, in 597 BC, Ezekiel the prophet was carried away with many others to Babylon. While the prophet Jeremiah and others remained back in Jerusalem. Now those in Jerusalem falsely believed that they were there because they were the good ones. They'd done the right thing, and so God had spared them. They hadn't been exiled. But the opposite was actually true. 
And so Jeremiah is in Jerusalem frantically prophesying to these people that you haven't turned back to God, you're not the faithful ones, and if you don't repent, judgment is going to come. And that's exactly what came in 586 BC. Meanwhile, those who'd been exiled up to Babylon, well, they had the opposite kind of mindset. They thought we must be the ones that have done the wrong thing. And so God's punished us and he's exiled us from our city and he's taken us to this foreign city because we've done the wrong thing. And so for them, they had no sense of hope whatsoever. Meanwhile, um, oh, sorry, while they were in Babylon, there were mixed messages. There was Ezekiel prophesying to God's people. And then there were a bunch of false prophets as well. And they were saying things that were opposite. Ezekiel was in Babylon prophesying about a future hope. And he was saying to these people that had been exiled, exiled there that you're going to be part of a faithful remnant, that God is going to restore you in the future as you turn back to him. But at the same time, there was a bunch of false prophets in Babylon, and they were saying the opposite. They were saying, don't stress about it. God's going to restore you. Your return to Jerusalem is imminent. So don't stress out. It's going to happen any day now which was completely the wrong message. They were lying and they weren't representing God. And so Jeremiah, the prophet, he hears about this. He's all the way back down in Jerusalem. He hears about these prophets that are giving this false message and he hears from God at the same time and he writes a counteracting letter, a counteracting letter that is sent up to the exiles in Babylon and that is the letter that we are reading today. If we look at verse 1, we'll see it. It says, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And his prophetic message is the exact opposite of the false prophets. He says, you're not returning to Jerusalem anytime soon. In fact, you're going to be in Babylon for the next 70 years. And so instead of thinking about how you can get home, Start thinking about how you're going to live as people in exile. His advice is great advice to them. And I think it's also great advice to us because in many ways, there are real similarities between us today and those people living in Babylon. You see, God's people were strangers in a new land. They were in a temporary home, but they were hoping and longing for and expecting to return to Jerusalem. The people were now planted in a place where their worldview was no longer the dominant worldview. In Jerusalem, the majority of followers of God, and they all looked the same and they all lived the same and they all believed the same when it came to faith. But now that they're exiled in Babylon, that has all changed. They're in a different culture full of all sorts of different beliefs and worldviews and they're all different and even opposing to their own. They are no longer the majority, but they are now a minority people. These exiles found themselves immersed in a culture where they were not liked, where they suffered persecution, where they were wrestling with the question, how can we live as people of God in the midst of a society and culture that dismisses us or despises us at best and may hate and persecute us at worst? And so while they long for their home, their future home, going back to Jerusalem, they also needed to learn how to live faithful lives in this new reality. Does any of this sound vaguely familiar to any of us today? No. Well, I'm going to tell you why it's very familiar to me. Because if somehow you haven't noticed it, our culture has completely shifted in the last few decades, and it's almost unrecognisable from what it was just a few short years ago. Christendom is what most of us have always known. 
a world where Christians were at the centre of society, where we were part of the majority. Our values were upheld, and if people didn't live by Christian values, they at least respected them. The Bible was a foundation of much of what the Western world was built on. But in recent times, we have found ourselves in a new and changing world, where those things are no longer true for the vast majority of people in our community. And while we haven't been displaced physically, our culture has shifted all around us, and we have seen the end of Christendom. We are living in a post-Christian culture, which means that the vast majority of people no longer hold on to our worldview. They don't grow up going to Sunday school. They're not walking into our churches. They no longer see the Bible as the basis for truth or even as something that's good. The New Testament tells us that we are aliens and strangers in this world. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. And so we as Christians, like the exiles, are living in a temporary home. And while we're not waiting for a return to a physical Jerusalem like the exiles were, we are longing for the new Jerusalem when Jesus returns. And in the meantime, in many ways, we're living lives of exiles. And here's my great fear. Many Christians don't even realise it. And if they do, they haven't adjusted to life in this changing world. We're a little bit like the frog in the boiling water. We've been sitting in the pot thinking the water's nice and we're kind of comfortable with our environment and our surroundings. We've been immersed in a Christian country which has changed. And as the temperature has risen and the world has changed all around us, we've been so oblivious that we haven't made the necessary adjustments in order to reach the world we now live in. And so the great challenge for the Jeremiah generation is the exact same challenge that the church is facing today, and that is this. How do we represent God in this new reality? So what can we learn today from the surprising and in many ways countercultural advice that Jeremiah gave to these people? Well, I have three points today, like every good preacher. And these three points come from Jeremiah's advice. And each point has a phrase attached to it that comes from missiologist Christopher Wright. And he uses these phrases in his brilliant commentary on Jeremiah. And each of these phrases powerfully describes the mindset shift that God's people needed to make in Babylon in 600 BC to change their city. And that I think we need to make an officer in 2020 if we're going to be a blessing to our community. And so the first one is to bloom where we're planted. That's the first point today, a very simple one, bloom where we're planted. And now for the mindset shift. We're going to do this today as we talk about a mindset shift. Can we all do this? Come on, don't be rebellious. You can do it. Very good. Simon says, okay. So when we talk about a mindset shift, we're going to do this. Okay, so mindset shift number one is this, that they had to go from being refugees to residents. Refugees to residents. I wonder what sort of resident you are. Let's just narrow it down to your address, in your street. What sort of neighbour are you to the people around you? I think we lost the ability to be neighbourly the day they created the garage doors with a remote control. Because in the old days, people didn't even have garages. So they'd get home from work and they would park their car at the front and then John would get out of his car with his briefcase. And if you're wondering what a briefcase is, it's like an ancient iPad. And they'd walk inside with the briefcase. But as they walked inside, you know, Betty and Bob were next door doing their garden. And Betty and Bob, they'd put down their trowel and they'd say, John's home. And they'd rush over and they'd lean on the fence and they'd say, hey, John, how was your day? 
And John would go, oh, it's a good day, you know, a bit of a stress at work. And they'd have a conversation and, and they would get to know each other in this neighbourly kind of connection. And then when John went away, uh, Bob and Betty would go and, you know, collect his mail for him and they'd put it at the front door for when he got home. And when Bob and Betty went away, John would go and feed the dog and the goldfish and the cat while they were away. And there was this sense of neighbourly relation. If we ran out of butter, we'd just run next door and get some butter off the person next to us. But these days, it's very different. We drive into our driveway, press the button, we drive in, we press the button, we walk inside. It's not unusual for many people to live in the same place for years, maybe even decades, and not even know the name of the next-door neighbours. Shame on us if that's our experience. Because these days, if we're going to be neighbourly and be people on mission, it actually takes a lot more deliberate effort to connect with people in our communities. And so I wonder what sort of resident are you? In Jeremiah's day, God's people had been living in the promised land. There was stability and peace, probably very neighbourly. But now instantly they are subject to a foreign superpower in a strange and an uncomfortable culture. They were refugees and as refugees they would have felt like they didn't belong. And I can't imagine them wanting to connect or engage with the Babylonians. I can imagine them hating these people, thinking we want nothing to do with these people who've ripped us out of our land and have forced us to come to this foreign place. They're probably thinking, get us out of here. And so when the false prophets came and said, hey, don't stress about it, you'll be out in no time, that would have been a very attractive message to hear, a promise that they would try and hold on to. But Jeremiah comes with a very different message, the actual voice of God. And essentially he says, you're not going home anytime soon. You're staying right here. And so put your roots down, engage with the city and bloom where you are planted. Because it's not just the Babylonians who've brought you here. It's actually God who's planted you in this city. For these people, they could easily think we're only here because the Babylonians brought us here. But the passage makes it clear that it's actually God that brought them here. Have a look at verse 4 and verse 7. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 7, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. And so while it would have found hopeless and dark for these exiles, it's clear that God was the one who placed them in Babylon and he had a purpose for them in that place. Andrew Snook sent me a uh, a graphic this week, which I really liked, a quote from Christine Kane. She said this, Sometimes when you're in a dark place, you think you've been buried, but you've actually been planted. We live in a dark place, don't we? Our neighbourhood is increasingly dark. And sometimes it feels like we're overwhelmed and we're buried, but we've actually been planted in this place. And so God's word to these people and, to, and by extension to us is this, If we're going to bloom where I've planted you, you need to change your mindset from being a refugee to a resident. This is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Would you say in the last 50 years that people going to church has increased or decreased? Decreased. We've got a challenge ahead of us, haven't we, to reach a community. And the only way we're going to do that is by engaging with people. 
couple of Sundays ago, I was at the Australian Day ceremony for Cadinia Shire at the Cultural Centre. And during that ceremony, where uh, there was lots of people, hundreds of people, but over 100 people came into citizenship in this country. And it was a really beautiful moment to see so many nations and such diversity re- represented on that day. But what really stood out for me was the joy on the faces of those coming into citizenship. It signalled a shift from feeling like I'm a stranger to now seeing themselves as belonging in Australia and perhaps even more importantly in this local community. They were becoming citizens, but they have also become residents. And as residents, each of those people will bring something different to our community. In recent decades, Australia has been transformed through immigration to become a much more multicultural society than we ever used to be. And so people have come to this country, and with them, they have brought their culture and their customs, they've brought their belief and their lifestyles, they've brought their fashions, and they've brought their foods. And I, for one, am particularly grateful to the Thai people, the Chinese people, and the Indian people for the foods that they have brought to this country. I like having a red curry or a pad thai or some lemon chicken. And so I'm very grateful for what they've brought. But it's not just immigration that's changed our country. It's also multiplication. Because once they settle here, they have children and they start to uh, spread and their culture and influence starts to spread. And as it does, our country starts to change. And it changes because these people have come from different places to a foreign land and they have bloomed where they're planted. The theme for us as a church in 2020 is bloom where you're planted, but it's always been the purpose of our lives from the very beginning of humanity. First command given to Adam and Eve in the garden was to be fruitful and multiply. They were to extend the rule of God throughout the earth by living fruitful lives and multiplying further out. The command to them is reaffirmed to the patriarchs in the Old Testament. It's restated in a different way in the Great Commission for us in the New Testament. But it's also the command given to God's people in exile. It's the same purpose for us. To be fruitful and multiply is to bloom where you've been planted. As I considered the different expressions of culture I saw on Australia Day, it got me thinking, as God's people, what culture do we carry? Because I think we're meant to carry a kingdom culture. As we saw last week, that kingdom culture is best recognised by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That we should carry love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control everywhere we go. When you think of Babylon for a second, as God's people embrace their new reality as residents and over 70 years spread right across that city, engaging with people as they did, I think it would eventually become a very different Babylon as their influence contributed to the culture of a city. This is what's happened in Melbourne. As different cultures have spread, they have changed this city. But I wonder in the same time what impact we are having if our role is to multiply and to spread kingdom culture. Because if you spend five minutes with a Chinese person or a Sri Lankan person or an Afghani person, it's immediately clear that there's something different about them because of the culture they carry. And I wonder, do people see something different in us because of the culture that we carry? Because I certainly think that they should. You see, all of us are consumers of our local community. We're in this place and we consume our local community. We consume the services and the goods and the facilities and we enjoy the best that our community has to offer. 
But good residents don't just consume, they also contribute to a local community. And so it's a, a thing of taking, but it's also a thing of giving. It's giving and taking. But I think as Christians, we have an even higher call than just contributing. I think the call of God on our life is to help change our local community. Not just contribute, not just consume, but change our local community. In verse 1 and 2 of the passage, it lists the people who were carried into exile. There was the king and the queen, the priests and the prophets, but it was also the skilled workers and the creative types, the artists, the textile makers, the clothing producers, the court officials and the leaders. And all those people in this new place in exile would have used those skills and abilities to contribute to this place. And so it makes me wonder, what has God placed in our hands to contribute to making this community a better place? What passions, what time can we invest, what relationships, what resources, what giftings can you and I use to engage with people to be part of a change in this city? Because if we are blooming wherever we are planted, we can be used by God to bring transformation into any environment we walk into. Let me use the example of a workplace this morning. As I look around today, there's a lot of workplaces represented in this auditorium this morning. And so imagine this week, if you went into your workplace, not just thinking, I'm going there to do a job and to get a wage, but before you went in every day, you actually prayed and said, God... I want you to use me today to be your hands and feet, to represent you, to share the gospel with people that I meet with every day of the week, most days of the year. I wonder whether that would transform the way that we live, the words we used, the way we interacted with people. If you walked into your workplace this week and there was a whole bunch of conflict, what would happen if you radically decided instead of choosing a side and going butting heads with people, that you actually just made a decision that you're going to radically love every person in your workplace? What about if there's anxiety and worry? If you're the person that carried a peace that passes all understanding into that circumstance? What about around the water cooler when there's people gossiping? If you were the one that exercised self-control and instead of participating, you chose to encourage and build others up? What about if your workplace is a place of pressure and stress, if you're the one that modelled patience? What if there's angst and poor morale in your workplace? If you're the one who carried joy, every time you walked into a room, the atmosphere changed because you have the joy of the Lord and the joy of the Lord is your strength no matter what you're going through in that workplace. Now, I reckon if every person lived this kind of spirit-filled life in every workplace represented in this room today, I think we'd start to see a difference in the business world. And so let's multiply that out and let's just get away from workplace for a moment. Let's think about some other areas that God's planted us. What about in your family, in the classroom you find yourself in, in the conversations you have, in the friendship circle, in the sporting club, in the committees and associations here in Cadinia Shire that you're connected with? What if every one of us took the light of the world, Jesus, into those dark places? What would happen in those places as all of us leave this place together and spread out into a community where darkness seems to reign. You see, the Holy Spirit is with us and he's in us. Paul says, it's no longer I, but it's Christ who lives in me. We either believe that or we don't. And I think we often live our daily lives like we don't. 
We come to church and we hear the gospel and we encourage one another and then we kind of go undercover for a few days and then we pop up again next Saturday night and think it's church tomorrow and then we do church and then we go undercover again and we never actually take seriously the call to be good residents where God has planted us. And I think it's so important that we do. Because if we understand that the Holy Spirit is in us, that Christ has saved us, we can change the atmosphere in any room. We can be part of transformation in our workplace. We can bring healing into our family. We can influence our community as we bloom where God has planted us. If every Christian lived this out, the world would be turned upside down. Now, we can't make that happen all around the world, but we can start in our local community by blooming where God has planted us. Because if we think that we're going to lift Jesus' name high over this region and bring transformation in Cadinia Shire by waiting for people to walk in those doors, we're kidding ourselves. But if we go every day carrying the presence of God, representing Jesus, then we can see things start to change. I don't know about you, but I get really excited about that. Because if every Christian took the mission of God seriously to bloom wherever God had planted them, this world would change. And so we need to bloom where we're planted. But secondly, we need to bless where we're planted. Are we ready for the mindset shift, number two? Waking you up, just getting you to do this. I can see some people not doing it. Come on. There we go. Very reluctant. That's good. You did it. Excellent. Well, the second mindset shift is this. We need to go from mourners to missionaries. Mourners to missionaries. And when arriving in Babylon, the people of God would have been heartbroken. They'd lost so much. Family members, freedom, the safety of their city and their homes. And no doubt, it would have been a time of deep, deep sadness and mourning. But God had planted them in this new city. And if they were going to have an impact, they needed to shift their mindset from mourning to mission. Now, I want you to think for a moment how incredibly tough it would have been for these people. How could they possibly love the Babylonians who had inflicted so much pain upon them? And they would have been in this new culture wrestling with that thought. And then Jeremiah comes and this is what God says. He says, I want you to seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Can you imagine that? To seek the peace and prosperity of the city that had just destroyed your city. And God says, I want you to pray for the peace and prosperity of this place. I think that would have been so incredibly hard to hear. And I think it's the Old Testament equivalent of Jesus' command to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. You know, as we look at our local community, there is so much that we could mourn over. We have an epidemic of domestic abuse behind closed doors. We have youth suicide and homelessness and poverty on our doorstep. There are people struggling with mental health and loneliness, isolation and anxiety. They're major issues. And in the midst of all that, people don't even particularly like Christians anymore. And so we could easily just be completely overwhelmed by all of that, sort of shrink back and just mourn for our community as it breaks our hearts. And it should. It should break our hearts. But like for the exiles... It should shift our mindset from mourning to mission. Because maybe God's planted us here as part of the answer in some of those issues. Australia Day Awards this year, most of you would be aware that I was nominated for an award. And the award was the Citizen of the Year in Cadinia Shire. It was a huge surprise. 
It was a real honour to be nominated for that award with 13 other people in that particular category who all do great work in our community. Now, the dinner leading up to the uh, award ceremony on the weekend, we had a dinner on the Wednesday night, and they said to all the nominees, we want you to prepare a brief speech in case you're the recipient of your category. Now, while I was thrilled to be nominated, I really didn't think that there was any chance that that would be me. And so I was away for the weekend, on Australia Day weekend, but we were coming back for the ceremony, and I said to Dad, driving home, do you mind driving? Because I really probably should put a couple of notes in my phone just in case. It's very unlikely, but I should do it just in case. And so on the way home, I typed a few notes in my phone just on the odd chance that, that it was me. And so we got to the ceremony. It was a couple of hours. All the citizens came as new citizens into Australia. And then they had four categories. They had the senior citizen of the year. They had the young person of the year. They had the event of the year. And then finally, they had the citizen of the year. And the way it worked is that they read out every nominee. And you'd go up and you'd get a certificate. And then you'd sit down. But the last person read out was the person who was given the award. And so I was sitting there enjoying the ceremony, quite comfortable. And they read out the first five people. And I thought, OK, well, odds are I'm going to be up any time soon. Like any second now, I'll be up to get the certificate. The next five win. We're down 10 down. There's four more to go. And it was four. When it got to three, I was panicking. <laughs> what did I put in my phone? <laughs> get it. Unlock your stupid thing. What am I, what am I going to say? Three, two. And then lastly, I was awarded that, that citizen award, citizen of the year in Cadenia Shire, which was really quite a shock. And so I went forward to receive the award, to deliver a speech to a packed room about the work that we do as a church, and about Jesus, the one we represent. And as I said in the speech that day, it was a wonderful honour to be recognised by the community, but it was also a little embarrassing because I recognise that I'm receiving that award on behalf of so many people in this community who sacrifice so much to be a blessing. And so I bought the award this morning. I've got a lot of trophies in my life, but this is easily the best one I've ever got. It's like a lethal weapon if someone breaks into your house. It says Citizen of the Year, Luke Williams, but I just want to say today that this is as much an award for you as it is for me. And so that's why I bought it this morning, to say thank you so much for everything you've sacrificed in our community to be a blessing to the people that we live amongst. God wants us to bless the place that we've been planted. And as I got up to give that speech like I said, I was a bit embarrassed. I got home a bit that day, and to be honest, I, I felt a bit empty, because you don't do stuff for awards. But as I thought about it more throughout the week, that is the award I'm most proud of, and I'll tell you why. Because four and a half years ago, what we set out to do a church, as a church has been acknowledged by our local community. As I gave that speech, there was a couple of things that hit me. We've always said from day one, if you've been here from day one, we want to lift Jesus high over our region. And when I got up to do that speech on a platform like this, with six to 800 people in that room, including federal members, local councillors, the mayor, new citizens in our country who may never have heard the name of Jesus, residents from our local community who'd gathered to celebrate Australia Day, I realised that right there in that moment, I had the privilege of lifting Jesus' name high. And the only reason I could do that is because of the service that you've all given to this local community. And so the first thing that hit me was that right there in that moment, we were doing what we'd always planned to do as a church. But the second thing we've always said is that we want to be a blessing to our local community. This is the second thing that hit me. Because it's easy for us to look at what's happened in the last four and a half years and say, yep, yep, we think that we've been a blessing to our local community. We think that this is a better place to live because we exist. But do you know what they say? Self-recommendation is no recommendation. And what was so special about this award is it's not us saying that. It's the community saying it. 
They're saying, you have been a blessing to this local community. What a wonderful privilege it is to be a blessing where we're planted, to go from being mourners to missionaries. So I want to challenge you this week. How can you be a blessing where God's planted you? It was not just another week or another work day. It's another opportunity to be on mission. Every moment, every place, every conversation is an opportunity to represent and declare the love of Jesus as we bless where we're planted. I'm going to finish with one more point, and that is this, that we should be people not only that um, bless our community, not only that bloom in our community, but we should be people who believe for where we've been planted. And the last mindset shift is this, that we need to shift from being victims to visionaries. Let's do it, mindset shift. Okay, we're going today. So remember this, we're going from being victims to visionaries. You know, in the last few years, what I've noticed in the Christian world is that we've become professional victims. Always moaning and whining about losing our rights and changing our laws and it's not fair and it's not right and we're being persecuted. Let me tell you, we're not being persecuted. We could drop you in the middle of Syria and we'd find out what persecution's all about. We're not in the centre anymore and we're panicking because we're not in control and we don't have power. Let me tell you, the church has always bloomed more when we're on the margins than when we're in the centre. When we're in the centre, we become complacent and comfortable and we love the power. But when we're pushed to the margins, let me tell you, God does something incredible. So we've got to stop mourning and become missionaries. We've got to stop being victims and become visionaries because the world is seeing us as expert whiners and I think we need to stop. Stop being victims and start being visionaries because victims are stuck in what things are but visionaries choose to see with the eye of faith what things could be. In a foreign city full of people who didn't acknowledge God, Jeremiah encourages the people to pray for their city, to move from being victims to visionaries. And let me tell you, church, this is the way of Jesus. Because Jeremiah, the the exiles in Jeremiah's time, they lost their home in Jerusalem and were exiled to a pagan city where they were persecuted. But Jesus left the glory of heaven. And he incarnated In this world, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Other translations say that Jesus moved into his neighbourhood. Not just into a world where he was hated, but into a world where he would be killed. And yet he didn't live as a victim. He lived as a visionary. He said, I've come to seek and save the lost. I've come to destroy the works of the enemy. And for the joy set before him, for the vision he had for all humanity, he endured the cross so that you and I could be redeemed. I want to challenge you this week to ask God for a renewed vision for this community. What vision do you have for the places that you've been planted? When's the last time you prayed for your workplace or for your family to prosper? When's the last time you specifically prayed for this local community? I pray that God would fill us with a fresh expectation that he will use us this year through our actions and through our words to bring transformation and new life into the places he leads us. Because if we're going to have an impact, we need to remember that we're we're not refugees, we're residents. We're not mourners, we're missionaries. We're not victims, we're visionaries. Let's return to our first love for God and our first love for this community. Let's be people who bloom where we're planted, bless where we're planted, and believe for where we're planted to not just consume or contribute, but to change this community for the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord,
We love you. We want to come back to our first love of you this year and know you as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We ask you to help us to grow in intimacy with you this year. But Lord, we want to love the place we live. Lord, I pray for a fresh passion for our next door neighbours, for our friends, for the people we connect with every week in this community. And may we pray for and believe that you can use us to bring radical change for the better of our society into this community in Cadinia Shire. Lord, we don't think it's an accident you've put us here. We believe that you have planted us here to bloom, to bless and to believe for this community. And so, Lord, we know that it can be daunting, it can be overwhelming, but we also know that we're filled with your Holy Spirit. And as we go, Lord, you'll give us the words to say, you'll show us the things to do, and you'll guide us into the places you want us to be. Lord, we're desperate to see these things happen. We ask that you'd help us, and we pray it in the powerful and the life-changing name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Thanks for joining us for our weekly message. If you're in the southeast area of Melbourne, we'd love for you to join us at our Sunday morning service. All the details can be found on our website at follow.church or you can find us on social media at follow Baptist Church.